Hello, I'm Brett Marshall. And I'm Zeke Boyat. And I'm Justin Bakke. And this is Sound the Foghorn. Hello and welcome. Episode 13 of the Sound the Foghorn podcast. Your host, Brett Marshall, joined as always by my friends Zeke Boyat and Justin Baki. Justin, we missed you last week. Glad to have you back on the show. How you doing? Doing good. Lucky show number 13. Um, other than being sleep deprived, I'm good. Uh, the family's healthy. Uh, there's no complications at all. Wife is on the way to recovery from uh, giving birth, so can't complain. Well, that's great news. Zeke, it's been a week. How, how you been? I'm uh, doing pretty good. I uh, had a lot of schoolwork and stuff to do this week, but it's Friday tomorrow, and uh, we get to talk some hockey tonight, so not too bad, actually. That's always good. I mean, we talk hockey on Thursday night, and then, like you said, the next day is Friday, mm-hmm. so it's like it's a good yeah. way to kind of lead into the weekend always. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Not quite as busy of a week on the Minnesota wild front as last week, of course, with, with trades and free agency and prospects, but still a good amount to talk about today. Uh, we'll kick it over to Justin first here with um, our weekly prospect update. Of course, uh, the KHL in full swing got some guys over there. So Justin, what do you got for us uh, in regards to the prospects? Uh, in terms of prospects, we'll start with the dynamo Mints players, uh, Brennan Menno. Um, I've noticed he hasn't been in the lineup that often like at all lately and you know but KHL is really hard to find out information on and I was like couldn't figure it out but it someone commented on the prospects page that it was due to COVID-19 I don't know how true that is but it would make sense would make a lot of sense yep and then Ivan Ladney has actually been in their lineup pretty consistently and just got his first multi-point game this past Sunday you know he's up to four points on the season and I believe 10 games played um he looks pretty quick from the games I've been able to watch, which is kind of a good sign. And then uh, Andre Svetlakov with Cheska, you know, he has six points in 15 games played so far, and seems like a lot of his points come in from some pretty big spots. Um, I think the biggest impression he's left on me so far this season is that he's almost up to 60% on the faceoff dot, and that's pretty dang good for a fourth liner. Um, another disappointment is seeing Alexander Hovanov. He has not been mm-hmm. in the lineup very frequently, and I had the same person comment it was because they didn't like his play in preseason, and that's why he hasn't been in the lineup every day. Uh, I think it was touched on on Russo's podcast, too, and I guess he was nicknamed Cheeseburger or something by Torchetti, so um, I think that was due to his conditioning. And then with uh, our second round pick, Murat Kuznadinov, um, he's got seven points in the last two games playing in the MHL for uh, SKA 1946, which is basically the junior team for SKA. Uh, granted, they were playing one of the, the worst teams in the league, one of the weaker teams. Uh, if you go to the prospects page and, and watch the goal he did score, you can you can see how quick he actually is. And, uh, kind of good news is or not kind of, it is good news. He, he got called up to the KHL SKA and was the 13th forward in the last game. He did not play in that game, but it, I feel it's a good sign that 
that he finally got called up to the KHL. Yeah, and I would keep in mind too. I think we touched on this last week. Kuznadinov is a really young forward yeah. too. So, uh, having just turned eighteen, I think it was in July. I want to say mm-hmm. yeah. so to be to be called up and playing in the KHL, which outside the NHL is probably the best pro league in the world. Mm-hmm. AHL is probably right there as well. But to be eighteen yeah. and playing in that league is really impressive. So if he starts mm-hmm. to get reps, mm-hmm. it's a really good sign for the Wild. Right. And I, agree. I, I guess one thing I'll add in that is um, uh, from what I've been reading. On um, SK, it seems like they've had another been another one of the teams with a lot of COVID problems, and uh, I just was listening to a podcast last week ago when they were talking about Askarov and all those guys, and I think um uh, you know a lot of their younger players have been playing recently. Uh, Kuznodinov has not played yet, but uh, you know I guess if there's one positive from that whole thing is you know they'll probably get an opportunity a lot sooner than usual, obviously. Anything else in the prospects, Justin? Um, I don't have anything else. I think the biggest thing was adding who's Nadinov into the, the mix of being able to talk about. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Alexander Havanov. <clears throat> so we thought maybe it was just kind of getting used to the system, but from what we've been able to dig up, it sounds like they're just not happy with them. And these aren't, and like you mentioned, I mean, Torchetti's noticed the conditioning before um, and the queue. Obviously, he put up prolific numbers there, but we have heard concerns about maybe his work ethic, maybe a little bit of his ego as well. Is it maybe time to start sounding the alarm a little bit on Alexander Havanov? Well, I don't know if that is time to start sounding the alarm. I mean, it's seven games, but uh, from the little that I've watched of highlights and some other little streams of games is that I think one of the other concerns about him is he's not he's never been a particularly like explosive or you know, great skater. And so I, I've been, a, I've, what I've seen a little bit so far, I'm a little bit concerned that, you know, that's hasn't really developed all that much, although he's still, I think like 20 and you really can't really make a judgment until he gets uh, much of an opportunity. But uh, so I'm not overly concerned yet just because it's still early, but you know, it's, you'd like to see obviously more. And I mean, you know, if he's, He's got to earn his way in the lineup over there too, and if he's not even doing that, you know that's not good either. I mean, I, I'm a little concerned. I don't know if I'm gonna sound the alarm quite yet. I'm kind of close, just because of the lack of being in the lineup and kind of wondering how that affects, you know, his his you know in-game play. Like he's got all the skills and tools to be a good offensive threat, but if he doesn't get in the lineup, I mean. How's it any different than us waiting on him to get here to play in the AHL if he's, you know, not in the lineup in the KHL? Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at too. It's it's just we were really hoping that maybe he would see some a, a bigger workload and really get to see who he is against better competition, but it hasn't come to fruition yet. But as you mentioned, it's only been seven games so far. So maybe if he just starts putting better shape, working harder in practice, maybe dusting that ego aside a little bit more, he'll get some ice time. Uh, it'd be interesting to see though. I, I <laughs> It's it's times like this you really wish you could get him over in the AHL so you could at least uh, get him playing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, be definitely something interesting to watch uh, moving forward uh, as as what what continues to develop with uh, with Havana. Definitely. All right, and then before we uh, have Justin give his thoughts on the draft, uh, I want to talk about one more thing regarding our prospects. Uh, Scott Wheeler uh, of the Athletic, recent I believe it was yesterday. Uh, released his top 50 uh, prospects uh, currently not playing in the NHL. And the Minnesota Wild 
not only had three players in the top 50, they had three players inside the top 25, um, including Marco Rossi at three. And then I believe Boldy or Kaprizov, I believe was at, I want to say it was like nine or 12 or somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And then um, Matt Boldy was down at, uh, I believe it was 23. So Mm -hmm. pretty cool to see three prospects there. Obviously, uh, I think kind of the consensus in Minnesota are three best prospects. And then um, just outside the top 50, he noted two, uh, Callan Addison, as well as uh, Alexander Hovmanov. So to have five players arguably, and we could maybe even go to say the top 75, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And definitely uh, shines a little light on the future. And you look ahead to next year, I believe the Wild have already stockpiled two firsts. I believe they have two thirds and a second. Yes. So five picks already in the first three rounds with, you know, four players who could be over the deadline to get more. Like, it's looking really good for building that uh, prospect pipeline here moving forward. Yeah, most definitely. And next year is supposed to be a, a very heavy, you know, deep draft in terms of defensemen. And that's kind of kind of a spot where we're hurting system-wide. So this might fall into our hands pretty well next year. Yeah, for sure. And I think the really interesting thing to watch about next year is if you follow the NBA, it'll be, it's kind of a similar situation where there's really not one clear first overall pick necessarily next year, but there's kind of a group of all these different impact players. So maybe not that true elite mm-hmm. game breaker, but a chance to get a really good player probably anywhere inside the lottery range. Um, and Justin, as you mentioned, a, a very defense uh, heavy draft too, for, which is which is rare. We haven't seen that in uh, quite some time. Yeah, definitely. Um, another thing, going back to the Scott Wheeler thing, I'd be kind of interested to note where he had Adam Beckman at. I know I'm kind of kind of jumping around a little bit, but just thinking of the the prospects he named and the ones he kind of left out is mm-hmm. I kind of kind of wonder where Beckman. Yeah, he at didn't have him list. in the top fifty or in the honorable mention. Um, what I've seen basically the concern with Beckman, and and I I think it's a real concern is. Um, oftentimes when you look at high high scoring forwards in, in any, especially the junior leagues, you have to look at where they're scoring from. And a lot of times if it's not coming from those high danger areas, and for those of you not familiar with the high danger area, basically anywhere inside the dots down to like the front of the crease where there's a higher probability of that puck going in, I think there's con- some concern about whether or not Beckman can really get to those areas at the next level. Um, obviously he's produced prolifically, but I mm-hmm. think his skating I think has been dinged as a little bit average as well. And like his other skills aren't quite at the elite level, some others. Um, I still think he projects as an NHL forward, but I think, I mean, you look at some of the players that have produced well in the WHL, they haven't necessarily panned out in the NHL either. So he's definitely a player to be excited for, but I think we really need to see what he can do at the next level up, whether that's the AHL or, yeah. or wherever he ends up next. Agreed. That, that definitely makes sense. So not, not to say Adam Beckman's a bust. Yeah. I don't think he is by any means, but just, uh, just, just keep that in mind when like, oh, where's Adam Beckman? He was, he was so high up in scoring. Well, scoring's not everything. It's, it's about mm-hmm. the big thing is always how does the game translate. So that's why it's really hard to evaluate prospects coming out of juniors because you just don't know how they're going to perform against better competition. That's very true. And I guess a, a good example of that is uh, Dmitry Sokolov, who had that fifty goal season, and and now look at him. He's, you know, mm-hmm. they never cracked the NHL. Yeah, I mean that's a. That's another example of a guy, you know, with the not necessarily, you know, not very great skater, you know, his conditioning isn't always the best. And, you know, that kind of, with kind of okay skating like that, you can get by in juniors and still be a big time scorer like that. But obviously, as everyone knows, once you get to the 
any kind of a pro level that's just if if you can't skate very well or you know any of those other aspects aren't up to par you just you even if you have all the talent in the world it doesn't really matter so we'll see right all right justin zeke and i along with um our guest last week um derek felska talked at length about uh the draft but we know you were just into it as we were uh, watching it in the hospital. So I want to give you the opportunity here just to kind of give maybe some of your thoughts on uh, some of the wild players, Rossi, uh, Kuzindinov, O'Rourke, and the rest of the gang there. If, uh, if you just want to take a couple minutes to talk about uh, maybe maybe some last-minute thoughts here before we, before we move to the next thing. Definitely. I might be reiterating what was said in the last show, but I absolutely went bonkers when we drafted Rossi at 9. <laughs> I never thought that we would be able to get him at 9. I mean, once the two defensemen got drafted and then Quinn got drafted, you heard him say the Ottawa 67s, and you're like, oh, crap. That, that's going to be our luck. He's going to go with one pick before us. But then they called Jack Quinn, and I was like, no way. He's actually going to fall to us. Mm-hmm. So I was ecstatic, and I'm, I'm very happy. I, I never thought we would get him below pick like five or so. So there, you know, we were pro Rossi all along, so very happy with that. And then with who's Nadinov, you know, he was deemed as possibly the fastest skater in the draft, or at least one of them. And, you know, seeing some of his highlights, it, it shows. And another Russian we get to draft, and I'm excited about uh, watching and see how he turns out, especially, you know, I feel like he was the, the biggest part of that cunning trade. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, O'Rourke, you can't go wrong there, a little hard-nosed defenseman that, uh, you know, he's captain material. And, and one thing I noticed with all these players that we're drafting is it's, it's like character, and they're all, like, leaders and able to, you know, be that type of, of person and player. Um, I didn't know much about Novak and Hunt, but, you know, reading about Novak, he was the, the third best rookie score in the WHL and led Kelowna in goals and game-winning goals. So it'll be kind of interesting and exciting to see how he pans out. And then Damon Hunt, you know, he missed three months with that, that gruesome injury. And he's kind of intriguing with his skating and, and the ability to play quickly. I just felt like with our picks, we went, you know, we only had five picks, but I felt like it was quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was character guys that have leadership qualities. So, Yep. And you talk about a, a culture shift, whether that's from the way guys act in the locker room to how they play the game. I think you're really starting to see kind of that, what, what Garen sees as the future. I think you're starting to really see that come together. Definitely. And I, I, I just, um, yeah, this is probably the most excited I've been about a draft in a while. And, uh, you know, Rossi had a big part in that. Mm-hmm. Right there with us. All right. So moving on now from the prospects, um, let's move into probably the most notable move from the last time we were on the podcast. Uh, the Minnesota Wild have their goaltender. Um, a guy maybe, I don't know if we talked about him too much on this show, but um, probably not a, a too bad of a fit. And You look at the contracts that were handed out. Um, not bad. Cam Talbot uh, played with, I believe, on the, was it the Calgary, right? Yeah, the Flames yeah, last year. Because he was with Edmonton two years ago. I mm-hmm. Man, the, the mm-hmm. goalies that rotate between those two teams is kind of comical. It but <laughs> um, Cam Talbot, formerly of the Flames, uh, Rangers, Oilers, kind of been a journeyman through uh, through Canada and, and the northern part of the U.S. But uh, 
or your guys' initial reactions. He was the first goalie to be announced signed to a contract. So it, it uh, I think maybe caught, maybe I'll saw a little off guard because it went from, yep, the Wild interested to, yep, the Wild signed him in yeah. <laughs> very quickly on, on free agency. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start. But I mean, you know, at first, I guess I was, you know, since we really hadn't talked about him before that day, he hadn't really been brought up as too much of a mention. I guess I wasn't at first like, you know, like excited or anything. But, you know, when you when you come down to it, you know, they, they weren't going to go out and spend a ton of money. Obviously, there was no reason to, whether that is in free agency or in a trade. So I think, you know, when you get him who I can't remember the who tweeted this or the exact stat it was, but Brett might know more about this, but they were it was one of the the advanced statistics they were showing that the Wilds two goalies last year were these were negative numbers. I can't remember what it was, but they were way Dubnik and Stalock were way down and Talbot was right around uh, kind of even at zero. So, which essentially meant that he was last season stopping the shots that he needed to, which, you know, is kind of just what the wild need, especially at this point, you, if, since they're not, you know, really expected to be contenders. So, you know, it's maybe not the most, uh, you know, a, not the best goalie out in there in the world, but I mean, I think, you know, overall it's a good signing. And like I said, if he stops the shots that needs to, it'll be good. Yeah, the stat you're looking for is expected goals, which basically okay. means yeah. it basically looks at where shots come from. So let's say like a sh- uh, you know a, a wrist shot, a, a Ryan Suter wrist shot from the point with no traffic, um, <laughs> you should a, a goalie should probably stop that. And yeah. basically, the, the stature that yep, Calbert's stopping that pretty much as often as he should. And then guys like Dubnik and Stalock were not stopping shots like that as often as they could. So he's basically like he's a very average goaltender, mm-hmm. like. He, not flashy. He's not probably wasn't like the best option per se in terms of skill in the free agent market, but behind the wilds defense and uh, which is very, very good. And I'll get into that a little bit later on the show uh, before we sign off about the research I'm doing into that. Um, but be, an average goaltender behind the wilds elite D could turn into a really good goaltender. So I, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think it was a, it wasn't a sexy signing by any means, but I think it's, it's pretty much what they needed and they got it. I, I, what I think is a pretty yeah. fair value. Yeah, I agree. I, he wasn't really on my radar, and you know we didn't really talk about him at all on the show. But the deal makes sense. Three years kind of gives us time, a stopgap, to figure out if Kakinen or Jones are part of the future. Um, and if they're not, it gives us time to find out who is. You know, it sounds like Stalock is going to be backing up Talbot, and then Kakinen and Jones will be the two goalies in Iowa. So they'll probably get some good looks on them down there, and then. Hopefully, Kakna gets some time up in uh, up in the bigs. But uh, looking looking at his career numbers, you know, Talbot is a career two six one goals against average and uh, ninety one nine one five save percentage. So he's got pretty decent numbers. And then what I noticed is he really exceeds in the playoffs. I think he played three playoff seasons, and one of them was with New York when they went to the Stanley Cup. But in the playoffs, he's got a two point four six goals against average. And then his uh, save percentage was 0.923. So, you know, it seems like he steps up big time in the playoffs too. God yeah. knows any position the Wild could yeah. use players oh, yeah. that want to step up in the playoffs. Yeah, that's for sure. And, like, I guess just my only kind of, uh, I guess, gripe or negative thing, I guess, about the signing is that, uh, you know, I, I don't hate the term on the contract of three years, but I think it would have been, you know, kind of just a little bit more perfect if it was at the two years. But... I mean, also, it's really, you know, it's, I guess it's just one more year. It's not that big of a deal. And, you know, that's kind of what you got to do in free agency. But, I mean, like you guys said, he's not going to, he's 33. He's not going to be here long term, obviously. So, you know, the salary isn't too ridiculous. And, 
Well, yes, I, I would ideally would have liked it to be two years on a guy they would have signed. Uh, just, you know, overall, I don't think that's that much concern because, I mean, you know, the salary's not that big and it, it, he's not going to be blocking anyone from coming up in the future. Yeah. yeah. One thing ahead, that did happen is we did offer him two-year and three-year contract and he chose, oh, yeah, pick, yeah. Yeah, he chose to pick the three just because of the stability of family, which I can appreciate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he got four-year-old twins. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the little funny anecdote, if uh, if you didn't read the article um, that Rooster wrote about Talbot, uh, hit a little note in there about um, when Talbot said they were trading, the first thing the uh, the four-year-old twins wanted to know was who the mascot was, and uh, they approve of Nordy, so the Talbot family, uh, <laughs> sounds like they're excited uh, to come, and uh, yeah, I, I'm curious as to what maybe the AAV was on that two-year deal, I'm wondering if it was less money or, or more money or how that would have worked mm-hmm. out too. Um, one more thing um, about the goaltending situation. So the interesting little wrinkle, I think, in all of this, which we knew was kind of expected, but um, is expansion. Um, no, no trade no trade protections or movement clauses at all on, on the Talbot contract, which means that one of him or Kakinen is going to have to be exposed in expansion. And you'd have to think that Seattle, I mean, especially looking now at if Minnesota does go the, the four, four defensemen, four skater out, and if they can get maybe one of... Um, if they can get Zuccarello to to waive, because I don't think Seattle's sticking on that contract at his age, um, it creates a really interesting dilemma for Minnesota as to which goalie to expose. Because mm-hmm. um, I think out there's not going to be a whole lot of forward options. I mean, Carson Soucy might be attractive, Jordan Greenway potentially, but I think it could come down to maybe Soucy, Greenway, and, and one of the goalies. What do you guys think of that? Well, I don't know. I think, I mean, I guess it depends on how guys like Susie Greenway and the goalies go this upcoming year, whether in the minors or in the NHL. But I don't know. Like you said, that'll be kind of a that'd be kind of an interesting dilemma with your goaltending, especially if you know Talbot is good this year, and you know you wouldn't if Kakinen continues to be good in the minors or gets a good call up in the NHL. You know, you you wouldn't want to expose him either, either because you know he's the young, twenty four, twenty five year old goalie in your system. So I don't know. I'm not. I guess I would probably, if you know, if they both were having good years, let's just say that I would probably just still protect Kakin just because he's the younger goalie. He's the, you know, probably has a little more upside there. But I mean, that is a definitely a interesting uh, debate they're going to have to have if that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, it. it I think it'll kind of be performance based, and then if mm. kind of what they think what the future is going to be like if, if Kakinen is performing well I think he's going to be the future I think he'll be protected otherwise it could be Talbot if, if they need the stopgap still and need to figure out who needs to, to play in net for him in the future yeah for sure um, one thing I, I, I wanted to, to mention just, just to see where you guys went you guys both said Kakinen and, and I think that there might be kind of a an unwritten agreement between the Wild and, and Talbot that he could be the Seattle goaltender as well. Um, the reason I say it is if you listen to the uh, Straight from the Source um, <clears throat> podcast uh, that Russo did with Talbot, Talbot on that show mentioned he actually kind of likes playing in the Pacific Division um, mm-hmm. because of the travel. Or maybe it's – or did he not like playing in the Pacific because of the travel? He did not like playing in the Pacific because of the travel. Yeah. Well, never mind. I was going to say maybe that makes him makes – him, made him – you know, he'd be okay with going to Seattle because of the travel, but – yeah, he doesn't like the long travel and everything. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. It's it'll be uh, probably the most interesting development outside of a possible Dumba trade 
um, heading into expansion next season is what they decide to do with the goaltenders. Because I think there's a good chance if we're, that that's who ends up getting taken from the wild. Mm-hmm. But I think Carson Soucy is going to be a nursing name there too because he's not going to be protected under any circumstance. So yeah, no. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Greenway is obviously would be an attractive piece to maybe start to build your franchise around a big a big young forward with with upside. Agreed. All right, so that's it for the goalie talk. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the former Wild captain here next, Miko Koivu. Uh, signed a one-year, I don't remember the uh, the, the value on the contract. It was, it was just half. over a million. Yeah, yeah. one and a half million uh, dollars with Yarmo Kekalainen and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, what do you think of the landing spots? And then there was also a little bit of a, a controversial quote from Koivu about uh, playoffs. Oh, God. Um, I think it's kind of weird that he's going to be playing for someone else, especially our, our expansion cousins. I, I kind of expected him to go to, not like they're not a contender, but they haven't really had more playoff success in the wild. So, you know, Island doesn't seem to like Koivu leaving. Yeah, he's sad about it. Do you hear him? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my brother's named after him and he's leaving and I'm just born. I don't get to watch him play in a wild uniform. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, with the quote he made, you would think he would have gone to like a bigger contender. And, you know, I hope mm-hmm. best for him there and hope he gets yeah. a chance to win the cup. But it just, it's just kind of weird that that's with Columbus in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think I kind of agree. I mean, you know, I think what Russo was saying before free agency started that was uh, that Philadelphia might be a, could be a good destination for him because, you know, obvious connections of Mike Yo and Chuck Fletcher and even Nick Schultz still working for that team. So, you know, I kind of thought that'd be more realistic option if they were interested, especially because, you know, they're kind of more in that contending stage. But, I mean, obviously uh, him and Keck Line are very familiar with each other, uh, both being from Finland and working together before. So, you know, I guess while they may be not – you know, a true cup contender. I certainly, you know, wish the best for him and hope he can get one last run in it. And, you know, on the whole quote controversy about his whole comment about the playoff thing, you know, I, first of all, I think the tweet from uh, Aaron Port's line was more of a paraphrase when he yeah. said it. So I think maybe people took that a little bit out of context. And also like, you know, I, I get your frustration. Like you cannot like, like him as much as you want. I don't care, but you know, he's not, it's not a slight against the wild. I mean, you know, because I was reading some comments, people going, well, if he feels that way so bad, why didn't he allow himself to be traded at the deadline? It's it's like, well, it's because he wanted to win with the Wild. He wanted to yeah. kick that one last run at it because he was so loyal to the team. And, you know, it, you can have your criticism to him as a player and how the way he goes all you want, even though I wouldn't personally. But I think people just took that out of context. And I think that was more of also a because, you know, he, is he going to go on and, you know, he's on his first new Zoom call with his new team, the new media there. You know, most players are going to say something like that. You know, oh, we we want to go out of Stanley Cup and all this. So, you know, I, I guess, again, just to wrap it up, I, I guess I get why on the surface that would look a little bad, but I personally didn't really think too much of it. Yep, you're exactly where I'm at. I think it's mm-hmm. it's a free agent, free agent speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I chose this team because I believe in them. Well, yeah, of course. Or yeah. <laughs> the reality is, you know, I didn't get too many other offers, and this seemed like maybe my best chance to get playing time. Is probably the reality of mm-hmm. of most free agent signings. Yeah, um, especially when you're when you're talking depth forwards, um, like Koivu, who from what I read from Portsline, sounds like uh, they might be slotting him in um, as the third center. So 
yeah, um, should be plenty of playing yeah. time, and, and you would assume he'll still get some time on the penalty kill as well than mm-hmm. out there in those key defensive situations. So I personally, as being a huge fan of him, is going to root for the, all the success. Um, I hope he does well. I, I think Columbus, especially now with the addition of, Ma- of Max Domi, um, d- down the middle now, they, they've got uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Max Domi, Miko Koivu. I'm not sure who their fourth line center is off the top of my head, but it's a pretty good base down the middle. They got two good goalies in the back end. Uh, Orensky and Jones on defense, like mm-hmm. they've got a pretty solid team there. So like oh, yeah. the, the the playoff contending team isn't out of bounds to me by by any means, because no. um, I think they'll be a they'll be a solid team. So all the best uh, to Miko and uh, the Blue Jackets this year. I totally forgot about the Domi signing. I, I think things have been such a blur lately that I totally forgot about that. <laughs> and another yeah. thing with his quote, you know, he was he was so loyal to Minnesota, and you know. It's just too bad he couldn't, couldn't ever lift that cup here because he just wanted it to be here for him to do that. Yeah, and and you know he he, he loves the state. If you read uh, if you read the Russo article about basically he reached out to Michael Russo saying, "Hey, I need to just I need to reach out to you because I I left some things unsaid." And it was basically mm-hmm. just thanking the fans and and thanking Minnesota and all the staff around for being so good to him and everything. So yeah. It's it was no slight against Minnesota in any way, so please don't take it that way. Yeah, no, don't. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so the next bit of NHL news I wanted to get into here, and this is something it's right now it's kind of a theoretical, but I, I threw out a tweet last night is there's been some rumors that because of how the US is handling COVID and the way the NHL is eyeing a start on the timeline they have right now, which looks like potentially January, maybe February, who knows when it's gonna be at this point. Um, but it sounds like as of now, Canada's like, no, you're not, you're not going to cross the border and then come back to play sports. I don't care what sport it is. Um, so it, there's a possibility of the NHL having to basically do four bubbles, essentially. Um, one of them being an all Canadian division of sorts where they'll have to play all the other Canadian teams. And so I took a crack at just kind of like what it might look like of how they would split that up. And here's kind of what I came up with. And this is based mostly on travel um, as well as time zones and just I don't know where the bubble would be centralized per se. I would assume in Canada they'd probably go back to Edmonton or Toronto considering that's where they did it already. Um, But then here are the other bubbles that I came up with. So a Southwest bubble with Vegas, San Jose, Anaheim, LA, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, and St. Louis. An absolute bloodbath with Vegas, Colorado, Dallas, and St. Louis who I believe were the top four seeds in the West last year. Um, a Great Lakes division with the Wild, Blackhawks, Predators, Red Wings, Blue Jackets, Sabres, Penguins, and Flyers. So probably the weakest of the divisions, but a lot of kind of bubble teams with Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Nashville, um, mm-hmm. Columbus, Buffalo, maybe with the addition now of Taylor Hall alongside Jack Heichel. And then the East Coast uh, with Boston, the Islanders, Rangers, uh, Devils, Washington, Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida. Um, and I think like my understanding was basically be the teams would kind of go in and out of these bubbles to play the game. So they would like go to the bubble and then like go back home and go to the bubble and go back home. But what do you guys think of this whole situation? If the NHL has to start this way, do you think they should just wait or do you think they don't really have a choice? I don't think they really have a choice. I thought I heard something along the lines they needed, they would need to lift the Stanley cup winner by the time the Olympics started or something like that. Which who knows if the Olympics would even happen? So it's just, you know, I could see it starting off that way, especially if they want to get a certain amount of games in, and then 
maybe go to the the individual arenas when and if fans are allowed back. It sounds like mm-hmm. sounds like from what I've seen, they they want fans in the stands at some point. But I guess that's really dependent on kind of where the the state of the country and COVID's at. Just kind of a lot to to weigh with that. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't have too many problems with kind of format like this to start or forever how long it goes. Uh, at that point, I would just be happy to have hockey back. But, you know, like like Justin said, they do want to – I think they're going to try to be, probably push it back as far as they kind of realistically could to give themselves a chance of having at least a somewhat a decent amount of fans in the building. And I saw, like, one example in Vegas, They uh, their owner said they need 40% to be economically viable, and which is around six 7,000. In Ottawa, they were modeling for 6,000. So I think they are going to try and, you know, wait kind of as long as they can, maybe till the middle of January or beginning of February, to see in a, lot, in a lot of places if, you know, they can get any fans in the building at all. Because obviously, as everyone knows, NHL teams – you know, all sports teams rely on ticket revenue and the fans directly like that. But the NHL especially does, because I think I read a couple weeks ago, it accounts to up to 50% of their total revenue on tickets and stuff from the fans. So I think it'll be, you know, this will obviously be a developing situation over the few months, uh, every couple of weeks. But overall, I, you know, I think there's also a concern that, you know, some teams wouldn't be able to make it if you had to play in with empty buildings. So, you know, it's it's a lot of, it's very complicated very complicated issue. Yeah, and it, it gets to the point too where where you like you could make the argument, well, don't play a season at all. Well, in that case, you're almost worse off because now you don't have yeah. any money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's again another one of those interesting scenarios to watch, kind of moving forward yeah. here. Because of course, whatever the NHL does, the AHL will probably try to follow in a similar model as well. Because mm-hmm. um, you you got to think that teams want to get their young guys playing because mm-hmm. you can't afford because like we've talked about so many times the importance of of those development years in the AHL. Um, the good news is I think it sounds like all three Canadian major junior leagues, as well as I believe now I saw the ECHL are all have target start dates, um, which is which is great news. Yeah. Um, not that the Wild have tons of players in those leagues, but just from mm-hmm. You know, draft eligible players and, and other young players that are turning juniors. It's it's good that they're going to have somewhere to play uh, moving forward. And another thing with that is, I think the queue actually did start up, and they had to pause because of COVID concerns. So that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to start something like the NHL and then have to like start and stop and start and stop and maybe get yeah. less games in than you want, or just mm-hmm. you know, like we said, there's a, there's a lot to consider. Yeah, and I think I just think you know you're just gonna have to they're just gonna have to come up with a lot of plans for all this stuff and you know all new protocols that are even different from the bubble, especially if you're traveling around because you know I guess they're maybe not the same exact situation, but as you're seeing in the NFL with a lot of these teams having a bunch of positives at once and games having to get pushed back and you know who knows what they can do in it and I guess I'm not too familiar with what they've done, but I just I, you're gonna have to have a plan to deal with that because you know if you're if you're traveling around, you're inevitably going to have positive tests eventually. Mm-hmm. And with this, obviously that is, you know, the biggest issue at the state of the world. And so, you know, that's, that'll be the first thing that they're going to have to figure out between them and the players association. Um, but I don't know. You know, I think again, it, it's like with the bubble thing, I thought that would be impossible. And, you know, you know, that's a completely different situation, but I, I think it's, there's a way to get it done, but uh, you know, just like we said, not going to be easy at all. Yeah, and not to say the NFL has been a role model of 
how to do a, a full season at home stadiums with COVID, but they've mm-hmm. done generally a pretty good job, I feel like, so far. Yeah. Obviously, there's been a couple issues here with you know the, the Titans and whoever else, but mm-hmm. the NHL, I think you look at AHL rosters and two-way contracts and things like you could very well go with just a next man up mentality. Hey, if yeah, you you got two guys with COVID, rest of the team's good. All right, go ahead and call up two minor leaguers and mm-hmm. f- fill the holes, test out your depth. And I I think that's going to have the way the Angels have going to have to go moving forward because like we talked, I, I I don't think they can afford not to play a season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at this point, it's not going to be a full eighty-two game season. I think sixty right now is probably realistic, and the further that pushes mm-hmm. back, I'd say as as each month you go back, you're probably dinging probably 10 games off the schedule and yeah the other risk you run with that too is even in a condensed season you're going to run risk for injury too as players probably not yeah. you know what you're looking at probably a shorter preseason mm-hmm. a, a shorter off season obviously and so there's gonna be higher injury risk and we saw that in the nfl too with, with no, no preseason there are all the soft tissue injuries obviously the nfl a little more injury prone than the nhl but a lot of stuff to factor in uh i think mm-hmm. in, the, in yeah. the very end i'm just glad i'm not the one that has to make those decisions but um i i what what the NHL did with the playoffs, if they can even do half as good with that, I think they'll be in good shape. Good, sure. All right, before we dive into the mailbag, is there any other uh, topics, either wild, prospect, NHL-related, you guys want to want to jump into here? Because uh, for once, we do have a little bit of time today. Yeah, I guess for me, I just, I mean, I just want to get your thoughts on the whole Taylor Hall thing, because, I mean, we talked about a little bit in the in our group chat on Twitter, but you know, that was a one that just kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, you know, you never saw Buffalo mentioned to him at all. Uh, you know, it, it literally just happened at the last minute. And, you know, from my opinion, it's a win-win for Buffalo and a win kind of a win almost. An, I wouldn't say it's not no lose at all. I mean, he could get hurt, I guess, but you know, what do you guys think about all that? Yeah, it was interesting. Like at first I was like, all right, whatever he wants to go play with Eichel for what for like mm-hmm. probably half a season. Like it seems written on the wall at this point. Like if you like Buffalo's got a good top six forward group and then the rest of their roster is absolutely garbage. Yeah. Um, excluding Rasmus Dahlin, who is still a developing young defenseman. Like yeah. their defense is bad. They don't have goaltending. Their bottom six forward group is terrible. Um, so they're not a playoff team. And if they are, it's by some miracle of, of a, of a divine power. Um, (laughs) and so like, and he got a no movement, no trade. So like basically what the consensus was is Taylor Hall took more money. It seems like for one year to basically determine, all right, this playoff team looks like they've got the best chance. I would like to be traded there. Um, and then Buffalo in turn gets someone for Jack Eichel to play with for 35, 40 games, and then probably get some first round picks or some good young players. So it kind of makes sense, but like I heard he had an, an offer from the avalanche and like, why would you not take that? Like that team is so good. And I'm guessing, and it sounds like it was a multi-year deal. I'm probably guessing in the realm of six, eight, six seven. and a half, seven million, probably in like mm-hmm. a two or three year deal. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't want to go play with McKinnon and Ranton and Landis Gog. They just added Devontae to that blue line. Like that team's going to yeah. be so flipping good. It wouldn't be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if he gets traded there anyway at the end. Yeah, but that's a good point. I, I don't know. It, it just seemed like the money kind of went to his head a little bit. Like I get it, but also like, why wouldn't you just sign with the contender off the bat? Yeah. I kind of felt the same way when I thought of that. I mean, it would have been like one and a half million less dollars with Colorado, but play on that roster and have a chance at a cup. I feel like they're a very viable team to, to make a run every year at this point. 
it just kind of baffles me that he would choose Buffalo and the money over a little less money and a chance at a cup with Colorado. Yeah. Well, again, we'll see how that plays out for him. I mean, it, it's just whatever Buffalo's going to get. They basically mm-hmm. spent $8 million for probably a first-round pick and a high-end prospect. This is mm-hmm. kind of the way I look yeah, at it. In, in, in 30 games of Taylor Hall. So, uh, any, Anything else here before we uh, head over to the mailbag? We have a couple questions here before we wrap up. Um, I've I got nothing else to add. I think I'm good, too. All right, so bringing the mailbag back here for the first time uh, in a little while, and I think we will uh, we'll go first here to uh, Night Owl uh, at Up at Nights um, asking. Uh, I think we've kind of touched on this: is who makes up the top six forwards in this group uh, after the draft to start the season? I'll, uh, let's Justin. Let's uh, let's get your thoughts first. Okay. Uh, personally, I think you know I agree with the, looking at Russo's depth chart at the moment, uh, I'd say Kaprizov, Marcus Johansson, Fiala, Parisi, Atkins, Zuccarello, but I really, really hope Ross, you can make the roster and, and turn into a top six, like one of the top six centers, or one C or two C, and move, uh, maybe Marcus Johansson to a wing, lower down or something, but um, as it stands, I think those are the six, and I think Rossi has a, a chance to do that depending on how his, his camp goes and you know how the wild think he looks yeah zeke do you have anyone else you'd put in that top six because i have kind of a follow-up if if your thoughts kind of echo that yeah i i don't think it's too different i mean like you said you're adding kaprizov uh you know like you said me justin said maybe rossi depending on how well he shows in training camp and early on the season and i guess i'm still a little unsure who's going to be that 2c and, you know, if Zuccarello is going to sneak back up in there, which I imagine he will because of the, his big contract, need to get him going. But, uh, yeah, no, not too much else different for me. Yeah, and so I guess my, my follow-up is, Justin, I'm with you. I think that top six makes sense. But I think the real question is, if Rossi makes the team, I per, and I think, Justin, you said you want him in the top six. I agree. I think he should play in the top six. But if that happens, who do you bump out of that group? Out of the top six that I mentioned? Yep, and I know you mentioned maybe Johansson to the wing, and I think that's where I stand now, but it sounds like the Wild want him in a top six, so maybe that slides Eck back down, but it's kind of it creates a weird logjam if, if Rossi makes team because it'll be kind of, instead of like, yep, Victor Rask is a 13th forward, now there's going to be somebody else on the outside looking in. And reading between the lines, it wouldn't surprise me if it's maybe Ryan Hartman. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's uh, someone that gets moved in a trade or something. I think it'd be a very, very viable option to a team. Maybe not right away, but like closer to the deadline. That I mean, starting off right away. That's, yeah, that's kind of a tough, tough question. Uh, I don't know who who you'd bump out of there. Zeke, do you have any thoughts? Um. Yeah, I don't know. Like just to, it's kind of a tough question with that one too. I mean, you could go any one of ways. I guess it just depends on what the Bill Guerin and the Dean Everson think of certain players, but. You know, I mean, you guys make a good point because I was thinking about the other week when I was on the armchair GM and cap friendly just messing around with lines on there. Like, if you put, like you guys said, if you put Rossi in there, that's going to create kind of a complicated problem like we just talked about for who's going to be there. So I, I'm like Justin. I don't know if I really have a sure answer in my mind yet, I, I'm, but I'm sure we'll know more as we get to training camp and beginning of the season. So, 
I did just think of something. Uh, I think personally, I'd want to see what the youth can do in the top six. I know Johansson, they want him in the top six, but he's on a one-year deal, and who knows how long he's going to be here. I'd kind of want to see what Eck and Rossi would do in the you know 1C, 2C, if that was even a viable option. Yeah, that's the one thing now It's that I'm excited for, is if barring any changes that Joel Eriksson-Eck's going get to a, get a shot in the top six, which which is exciting. We, we, we saw him get some looks at the end of the season, but I think that was more of like a temporary thing. But I think if you go into the season, like, yep, and maybe seeing if he changes his game a little bit to add some more offense and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, moving right along here, uh, the next not really a question from uh, from Torch Twine. Uh, base says, we fucking got Rossi. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah. that wasn't a question. Uh, tons of exclamation points. Uh, we definitely echo. Darn right. Echo that uh, that sentiment here. Um, all right. Uh, Are you not? Can you see him even? Because I'm the whole Twitter thing. Yep. I've. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I've got a bunch. Good all right. Uh, next one here will go uh, from Crease and Assist. Derek Falskar guest last week. Uh, speaking again more to the Wild's depth here. Who would you rather have as part of the Wild's third D pairing uh, between uh, Brad Hunt, Greg Pattern, or Louis Belpedio? And I'm guessing this is assuming that uh, Carson Soucy is the left defense. So basically between uh, Hunt, Pattern, and Belpedio, um, who you want on the right side? I think in order for me, it would go Hunt, Belpedio, Pattern, but I'm going to go off the board and say I want Brennan Mendel in that spot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would be That'd nice. be nice, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I feel like eventually, if you know, Bill P will be gone if he doesn't get a shot, and I feel like maybe he'll deserve a shot eventually. But I still think it's going to be Hunt to at least start the year. You know, he's the while he doesn't play a ton of games, he's the more veteran. And I don't know if that's necessarily what I necessarily want, but I think the difference between those two guys is Hunt is a little bit more of the more of an asset on the power play and can has a little more talent that way. So. I think he'd be the guy that's probably on the third pair. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Zeke, for the exact reason you mentioned, is that I don't think Louisville Bell, Louis Bell might be able to play power play. I'm not sure, but we know Hunt can, and we know he's he's competent on the power play too. Um, but with with some more forwards in the mix in the power play now, maybe you can afford to maybe not have Hunt play the power play and you have some more forwards out there, or you're sliding, you know, Dumbo's maybe on your second yeah. unit and whatever. But yeah, I mean, I... I need to see more of Louis Belpedio. Um, he requires waivers, so there's a good chance that he ends up being probably the seventh defenseman this year because it sounds mm. like uh, Greg Patteron's headed for a long-term IR. He had a surgery on something, hip or something, I think. I don't yeah, remember what. Like yeah. um, I think it was his hip, so he won't be ready to start this season. So Belpedio probably will at least get some looks, and it could be another thing where it might be um, dependent on who they're playing. Um, Belpedio might be a little bit better skater than Hunt. So if it's going to be more of like a track meet, maybe they go Belpedio. If they yeah. think it's going to be more of a, a ground and pound special teams battle, maybe it's Hunt. But I think it'll be some sort of r- rotation between probably those two. Um, they didn't go out and sign anyone. We, we speculated that they might do that. Um, they did sign Ian McCoshin. Um, I think he might be a right shot as well. So he's maybe another name that could potentially factor in there too. But I think more than anything, he's, he's, he's a depth piece. So Yeah. All right, and uh, next question here from Nick Lane. Uh, do you think Dumba gets traded this offseason or at the trade deadline? I'm gonna, I'll start. I'm gonna go neither. Um, I think they'll wait before expansion, mm-hmm. um, as teams look at who they can protect and who they're giving up, and maybe teams will, you know, if there's a team that can afford to keep them, 
you know, maybe they have a, a good forward that they'd rather get an asset for, you know, they can, and then they can trade for Dumba, protect Dumba, get an asset instead of just losing that said forward. Um, that's more the route I see them taking. Cause I think in that situation, there's going to be more options. Um, the deadline maybe, but I don't think it's going to happen this off season. Um, I think if it was going to happen, I think it would have happened by now. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of how I see it. Mm. I guess for me, I mean, just kind of similar to what you said, Brett, but, uh, you know, I, you know, again, it depends on, you know, if there's an offer that comes across the table or on the phone that, you know, is too good to pass up or that it is the center that Garen's looking for, then yeah, he'll make it any time. But it just doesn't, from what has been hap- reported the last few weeks, doesn't seem like anybody's really offering right that now. And with some of the moves they've made recently, that does likely, I think, allow them the opportunity to protect Dumba in the expansion draft. So, you know, I mean, who knows? I guess it's maybe... I still think it's likely he'll get traded at some point, but you know now they're not they're not in the position where they have to trade him, and they can wait and uh, keep him until they get the asset or the player in return that they want. So, Justin, any dissenting opinions? I think I'm kind of right there with you guys. I don't see it being imminent, and, and especially with Petrangelo signing in Vegas and Crew playing in uh, St. Louis and all the other team in that signed. I, I just I think it's something that it, if it does happen, it'll be maybe closer to the draft next year, or you know, unless the team really comes with something that's like you can't pass up. I I don't see it happening soon. I think it does happen at some point, like Zeke said, because of just how much is you know how much money is into our blue line. But uh, yeah, we're we're not really in a hurry to do it right now. Agreed. All right, and then uh, the final question here before we get into our final thoughts, uh, this one from Torch Twine. Actually, a question this time. Uh, with the draft now done, uh, we can start to see the kind of team Garen is wanting to build, solid defensively, excellent in transition, able to score off the rush. After this season, who do you think stays and whom might we go after? Well, I think, uh, you know, from kind of, I can't I don't have the exact quotes, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but the, Garen had a quote recently that he's saying, you know, now I know all these these guys love to play here and, you know, that basically this upcoming season with so many guys on expiring contract that this is your chance to prove that you can stay here and want to be here and will be a good player here. And so obviously it'll depend on this next season, you know, specifically. I don't, I'm not really sure, I guess, who they might go after. I mean, you know, you could think of, you know, a high, high-end center winger, like a, you know, center like a, a Barkov or somebody like that, you know, is a guy you'd love to be able to get. But uh, I'm not really too sure there and as for who go who who stays i mean i don't know i think aside from you know fringe guys like greenway could be gone i think uh johansson benino bukestad you know those guys are all to be determined so uh yeah no i, I think it's just i just think you know they're going to use this year to just kind of evaluate a lot of these guys yeah i think um, it, it's, it seems like Ryan Hartman will be gone by the deadline. It just sounds like, mm-hmm. um, his arbitration amount, um, that he's going to get, um, he, he's going to file for arbitration cause he's going to get more from that than probably what the wild offer him. Um, so I don't think he makes it to RFA. The wild will trade him either give his rights to somebody else, um, or they'll trade him at the deadline, which I think could open the door for someone like Nick Bugstad to, to stay. I think he's a guy that could probably be effective on your fourth line. Um, big physical winger. I think if he's back at full health, um, I think he's a guy that I could see him holding on to because I don't think the trade market is going to be huge for him. 
Um, and then I think depending on what happens with Dumba and if, if uh, Felino knows that um, he can be protected in expansion, I, I, he's a guy that will probably come back if all the cards fall right. But if for whatever reason they can't find a way to protect him, um, he might uh, might look to take his services elsewhere, which would be which would be a shame because he's been real, really good. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it will be kind of performance-based and also kind of state of where the team's at around the trade deadline. you got a lot of guys that, that could help a playoff team like a, you know, like a, the Boninos, the, the Hartmans, even uh, Marcus Johansson, he plays good in the playoffs. They're all in like, like a rental deal if it's a trade. So I, I think any one of those guys could be gone depending on where we're at on the, on the standings or on the, the deadline. Yeah, I think Benito and Johansson, I think even if I think it'll be a weird scenario because if they do perform, mm-hmm. you might want to keep them. But I think at the same time, if they do perform, all their trade values can be really high. Yeah. And I think the assets you're going to get, especially Benito, an older guy who's probably not part of your future. Mm-hmm. I think he's for sure gone at the deadline. I'd probably put money on that at this point. I'd say there's a better chance that he is than he isn't. And same with Johansson. I mean, these are older guys that probably don't fit into the long term plan. And if they have good years, you're going to get great value from the deadline. So I think there's a good chance both those guys are gone. If they kept one and not the other, I'd say probably Johansson just because he has that flexibility to play more down the lineup, um, center or wing, where Benio's kind of a center. But all of a sudden, the Wild have some depth at center. So I don't think you want to block um, what they maybe have coming up. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. I think uh, the rest of the questions we kind of touched on. We didn't have too many um, parting thoughts here. Um, I'll start here before we do a sign off. Um, actually, no, I won't. I'll just, I'll plug it before I sign off. Uh, guys, where, where can we find you in your work? Uh, Justin? I'm at DEASC2004. I'm at CapriceFC with the CapriceF Countdown. And I'm at, at MNW Prospects with Wild Prospects and Young Players. Zeke, what about you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at ZBWildNation underscore HW, and you can find uh, all my writing and work at HockeyWilders.com, and uh, be sure in the next week or so we'll be starting our top 25 out of 25 series, so be sure to check that out as well. That's always a really fun series, too. So Hard to rank, too, for yeah. me, at least. <laughs> Which is uh, probably a good problem to have at this point. Yeah, oh yeah, first um, time in years. Yeah. And then uh, I will plug now, Sound the Foghorn has joined Instagram, uh, at Sound the Foghorn, all one word, uh, just like our Twitter handle. Um, I'm primarily running that account, basically what uh, you'll find over there. It's a lot of visual help. So we've done so far um, some stories on understanding hockey analytics. So those of you who are unfamiliar with hockey analytics, and if you want to learn, there's um, some stories up um, kind of in the moments page if you go to the profile see some stories there's a tab called analytics 101 that kind of breaks down analytics how they work how to understand them um, how to understand ramp them charts which once you see that you'll recognize what it is because i'm sure you've seen it before um and then i'm breaking down about every other day um an analytical breakdown of the projected uh forwards for who there is data is on so there won't be any data on kaprizov or rossi because we don't have nhl data on them but basically it's breaking down players through an analytical view so you can kind of get just a different view than just watching them I'm on a night in night out basis, maybe some skills of theirs that are underrated, overrated, um, areas they could improve based on what the data shows us. So uh, lots of fun stuff there. So be sure you go over and give that a follow. We'll follow back, um, trying to get visuals up there daily, just as a way to help you guys better understand hockey from, from a different uh, perspective. And then I'm also working on a project, which I'm hoping will be done by the end of the week. Um, I'm analyzing every NHL roster uh, using um, Evolving Hockey's War, 
um, and Don Lushizen's um, GSVA, um, basically to figure out like a, a player's value and how teams stack up, particularly against the Wild. I'm about halfway done so far, and I think where the Wild rank among the league will surprise you. I believe, uh, no spoilers here yet, but um, from what I've done through the first 15 teams, um, the Wild have the best defensive group um, of any by pretty significant margin. So I'm hoping to have that done uh, by Sunday. That'll be up on my Twitter. Um, I'll have a whole bunch of different uh, follow-ups to that as well. So stuff to look out for uh, there. So watch for my Twitter uh, at B underscore Marsh 92. Um, looking out for the Hockey Wilderness uh, Top 25 Under 25, uh, the Instagram, everything there. Lots of fun stuff coming to you guys. Trying to make this podcast as fun as we can for you. But uh, that will do it for this week's episode of Sound the Foghorn. Thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week.